black magic has me in its spell That old black magic that you weave so well I see fingers up and down my spine Same old witchcraft when your eyes meet mine Welcome back, loyal listeners, to the Broomsticks and Butterbeer podcast, the uh, number one Harry Potter podcast that takes place uh, within walking distance of the Missouri River. I think it's... That was <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's the number one Harry Potter podcast that is recorded within walking distance of the Missouri River. That's a long walk. I'd rather drive. But you could you could walk it. I could. You could. I could. It is it is and doable. You, you do. I do. You jog it with mm-hmm. our with one of our dogs. I do. But I'm a little lazier. Mm-hmm. Some people you might say you know some might say that. Uh, so I'd rather drive. Gotcha. To the park and see the river. Uh, I am Dan Rhino, your Hufflepuff host. Jessica Rhino, your Ravenclaw host. And we are. Uh, cruising right ahead here on uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, or as Jess is reading Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, Ravenclaw edition. Woohoo! So it's I, so pretty. I guess we'll see if there's any of uh, any differences between uh, think, U- UK and US. I think there's one I, I spotted and suspected versions. that it's uh, worded differently in yours. Okay. Well, I'll be interested to see what that is. Uh, we are on chapter 13, Nicholas Flamel. We're actually gonna, going to learn just a little bit this chapter about Nicholas Flamel. Uh, not so much about the person, but um, more so about what his place in the story is going to be, we believe, at this point. So uh, recap the listeners on what happened at the end of chapter 12, or what happened in chapter 12. There wasn't any like big... Like cliffhangers at the end of chapter 12. No. Uh, the mirror of Erised with yeah. uh, Dumbledore and Harry kind of having a little powwow at the end there. Yeah, well, we had Christmas and we talked about Harry's first Christmas, real Christmas, and how lonely his Christmas would have been. But Ron stayed back with him and they made it, had a good time. He got his invisibility cloak and then went exploring, found the mirror, like you said. Went a couple nights in a row, ran into Dumbledore. Dumbledore told him not to go looking for the mirror again. Dumbledore could turn invisible, apparently, whenever he wants. <laughs> whenever he wants. <laughs> he doesn't need a cloak. So why he had the cloak, or supposedly had the cloak, who, who knows? So um, that's where we're at. I mean, yeah. there, there wasn't like any like big like reveal or anything at the end. He just basically told Harry, don't go looking for the mirror again. It's driven people mad. And Harry does have a little bit of almost like we we talked in the last episode how about how the mirror can almost be kind of like a drug, and Harry kind of might have had a little bit of withdrawal withdrawal from that withdrawal withdrawal yeah yeah apparently we're in deep south now yeah yeah old west with my drawal yeah he had a little <laughs> bit of a withdrawal from uh, the mirror he was having some nightmares and, and things like that and at the be- at the beginning of this chapter so I think kind of our um, analogy that we made in in the, in the last podcast and in the last chapter uh, kind of played out pretty accurately that or did we trigger some more memories hmm 
Well, it said that Harry remembered uh, a like almost like a villainous laugh. Uh, the green, the flash of green light again. Which, yeah, we mentioned briefly before, and his parents disappearing in that flash. Mm-hmm. I think we might be piecing some things together slowly. But, but I think you know, even if it is you know uh, hidden, you know, deep down memories, I think he badly wants to go back to that mirror. He's just dwelling on it. Yeah, almost know. like a like a like a safety net or like a comfort tool or. A security yeah, he blanket. He said it wasn't easy. Yeah. To forget about the mirror. Gotcha. So uh, chapter thirteen starts. Christmas break is over. Hermione is back. Yay! Hermione. And she's uh, a little upset that in the time that she was gone, nobody has figured out who Nicholas Flamel is. <laughs> well, she was both upset that they were sneaking out. Yeah. Of course. And roaming the halls. And then the fact that they were sneaking out and roaming the halls and didn't figure it out. It's almost, the, the Hermione lectures are almost like a like a, a toy doll of Hermione where you pull the string and it just kind of says <laughs> the same thing, like the same three things, like the same three lectures every time. And so they, the boys just kind of, you know, grin and bear it and, and go on with it because they know it's coming. Yeah, this, this chapter was, there was some digs at Hermione in this chapter. Yeah, there was. Uh, Hermione lost at chess, apparently. Yeah, she's not good at chess. Yeah. And they think that, that, that they should beat her as often as possible. Because <laughs> Just kind of knock, knock her, her down a peg. To yeah. have something she's not good at. Sure. But where we're at right now is that we still don't know who Nicholas Flamel is. Boys, you had one job while I was gone. Yep. Figure that out. And you, you didn't get it done. And you broke the rules. Uh, Hagrid let it slip. In previous chapters, that Nicholas Flamel was somehow connected to Dumbledore and whatever Fluffy the three-headed dog is guarding mm-hmm. at Hogwarts, and our trio has been scouring, scouring the library for anything about Nicholas Flamel to no avail. Pretty summed up, pretty well. Yes, and this process has all been killing me because Harry keeps mentioning that he knows he's read this name mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Do you remember where he read the name? I before? actually told you about that, didn't I? Uh, I don't know if it was off air, but I okay. Yeah. Didn't didn't I mention that to you about something about the the trading card that he got like back on his on the the train his initial trip to Hogwarts? I think I mentioned that to you um, that I actually remembered something. Yeah. So I was really proud of myself. And then like it's just we took such baby steps he kept saying he remembered reading it somewhere and then we find out that Hermione gave him chocolate frogs for Christmas and you're like come on Jess look (laughs) he's got a lot going on he does have a lot going on Quidditch practice everything everything getting uh, uh, just bullied to no end by the by Malfoy and his his goons and got a lot going on well, Malfoy's busy too. He's spreading it around. He's finding magic mirrors. He had to He's got go invisibility after cloaks. This one too. Yeah. Uh, so Harry's got a big Quidditch match coming up against Hufflepuff. Go Puff! If uh, Gryffindor wins, they would take the lead in the house championship over Slytherin for the first time in seven years. Woo. So this is a big one. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we get some bad news for the Gryffindors because we find out that. For seemingly uh, just out, kind of out of the blue, where the referee for this Quidditch match is going to be Severus Snape. Yes. And and George falls off his broom at the, at the mention of that. And to me, that kind of signals that Snape is doesn't referee Quidditch matches 
too often. Yeah. It just seems like he's kind of doing it. Maybe he volunteered to do it because he sees it as a way to keep the Gryffindors from uh, taking the lead over his house and then also getting another shot at making uh, life terrible for Mr. Harry Potter. I mean, is that... Was I wrong in assuming that this is kind of a rare thing to see him... Not that it's the first they, time it's ever happened. Yeah, they don't but say that it's never happened before, but they're all very shocked. Mm-hmm. And I think they even say something about has a sudden interest in becoming a mm-hmm. referee for Quidditch. And especially the, the twins who've been there for several years and who have presumably been on the Quidditch team for several years. If, if Snape had been refereeing with any sort of regularity, even like once a season... It, they wouldn't have been, you know, so taken off their brooms. Literally. Literally. By, Just George. By, uh, by the news that, that <laughs> Snape is going to be uh, refereeing the Quidditch match. So, I mean, the Slyther, the head of Slytherin House surely won't be fair, they're assuming. And, you know, they're basically saying that, you know, we need to play by the rules so, he, so Snape can't have any excuse for, you know, taking points penalties or points away and Harry you need to find that snitch as fast as you can and get this game over with we need to get in get our win and get out before Snape can you know try to mess things up for us Um, so Hermione and Ron basically try to convince Harry not to play uh, for his safety because they still believe that Snape was hexing Harry in that last match and he almost died because of that so they're thinking if Snape's actually on the the pitch while this match is going on, he would have even you know easier access to make things bad or potentially dangerous for Harry. Is that right? Yes, uh, that's actually I think the line that I think might be different. And there they're trying to tell him. Uh, Ron says, "Say you're ill," mm-hmm. and I doubt it. That's what it says. I think it, I think it did say, say, say you're sick or ill. I, I believe it 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 said ill. And then what was. Uh, Hermione's said something about... Hermione said, pretend you broke your leg. And Ron says, actually break your leg. (laughs) Like, breaking your own leg would be preferable to playing Quidditch where Snape is the referee. And I kind of thought about that, too, because they said that... uh, They said, break your leg. They did, in in my version, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, they did say, say you're ill. Okay. So, um, you know, they... I guess the UK believes that we're Americans are smart enough over here to know what ill means. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the only thing I really saw that you know just made me pause because it wasn't the way we would an author for in America would probably say it. Well, there, there was a Beastie Boys uh, album called "License to Ill," so we know what ill means. We do over know here. Uh, you know, when Ron says "really break your leg," you know, it's almost like. You could really break your leg and then be okay in a day, you know. So it's really not that big of a deal. (laughs) That's like a way to get out of like, uh, you know, people come up with, you know, excuses for getting out of work. You know, they could just say, oh, broke my leg. And then a couple days later, you know, take a couple days off, you know, for mental health. And then, you know, go back with a fixed leg. It would still hurt, though. Yeah. (laughs) And as 
as we've discovered, wizards are more durable mm-hmm. than the average human. You'd really have to so break. So it'd be really hard to break your leg. Be like that. Uh, You'd have to really that book Misery where they do something. Puts the the uh, piece of wood, block of wood between the guy's legs and smashes it with a sledgehammer or something like that. <laughs> no, thank you. And then, spoiler alert, he hits her with the typewriter. So, there you go. I just saved you two hours. <laughs> More podcasts for you to listen to. Woo! So, uh, while this is going on, Neville shows up in the common in the Gryffindor common room, uh, the victim of a leg locker curse. This mm-hmm. is the first time I've ever heard of the leg locker curse. Yeah. Is this something that shows up in the movies? No. Okay. I don't believe so. And the leg locker curse is exactly what it sounds like. Your legs are locked together, and you basically have to bunny hop around. And they kind of wonder, well, how did he even get into the the portrait, you know, to get into the Gryffindor common room uh, with his legs See, locked together? But Neville's a little more athletic than we thought. <laughs> but more well, nimble. He's, he's been thrown out a window and survived, so. Yeah. You know, Neville uh, might not get... He, he, he whines and complains a lot, but he might be a little uh, more boss than we were kind of giving him credit for. Uh, Neville kind of has, and I'll, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it now. Neville kind of has a um, crisis of identity here when, you know, we find out that it was Malfoy who was apparently practicing this leg locker curse on Neville. And Neville's just being uh, picked on incessantly by Crabbe and, and Goyle. And, and Ron tells I, him he's got to stand up for yeah. himself. Which only backfires for Ron because then Neville says, you know, you don't have to tell me I'm not brave enough to be in Gryffindor. Right. Malfoy's already told me that. Right. And he just jumps right there right. with what Ron said. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's fitting that Malfoy could spot that uh, insecurity in Neville and kind of exploit that too in the fact that he said well Malfoy's already told me that so Malfoy knows what what buttons to push well, he as has most, everybody's buttons yeah, yeah as most bullies do but it it I didn't even write it in my notes it just kind of reminded me that Neville really has this moment where he's thinking that I shouldn't be in Gryffindor I'm not brave enough to stand up to these guys uh but, you know, they, they remind him that the sorting hat put you there. This wasn't chance. The sorting hat does not make mistakes when it comes to, to what house you're supposed to be in. So possibly the sorting hat sees something in Neville that, that he doesn't see in himself yet. Yeah. Is that is that kind of the impression that you got from that interaction between them? Mm-hmm. That, and then they said, and where did it put Malfoy? In stinking Slytherin. Stinking Slytherin, absolutely. Remember, not all uh, Slytherins are evil. Hi, but, Kelly. <laughs> but all evil people are Slytherins. <laughs> it's like uh, not all uh, not all rectangles are squares, but all squares are rectangles. Nice. There you go. There. Little teacher wisdom for mm-hmm. you. Um, can I just Geomet- say? Geometry. With ge- geometry talk with Dan and Jess. Oh, God. I... This is one of the big things why I love the book so much. You get so much more of the other characters. From, you know, your standpoint where you've only seen the movies, it's Ron, Harry, and Hermione versus Malfoy, basically, at school. 
and the other characters just kind of pop in and out for one-liners or five seconds, and then they're gone. But this, you know, Neville's been with them a lot in a lot of scenes that aren't he's not included in in the books mm-hmm. or in the movies. So I just like that we get to know more of the other characters. Yeah, I think you have a little, you have a lot more freedom in a book rather than a visual media to, you know, put extra uh, characters and extra scenes like that in there. Whereas, you know, you might not have been able to work three people into a shot that, you know, a camera is only set up to work well for two or a scene that was only set up to work well for two. So in a in a book though you kind of ha- you have that picture in your head and then you can you know you are the cameraman you can you know take any shot you want and put you know as many characters in there doing as many things as you want which uh, I think is you know really cool I know a lot of you know you're one of the proponents for the book is better than the movie or of course don't judge a book by its movie yes <laughs> i think oh you, God, yes. you even have a shirt that says that yes and uh the book was better i've got a couple i've got a couple mm-hmm. shirts that say those things yeah and that's not just like a snobby book lover thing you know no, it's just it's the way it is you just can't like you said you can't cram all of that into mm-hmm. uh to our movie it's, you know, several hundred pages of details mm-hmm. and descriptions. You can't get it all in. Um, but I think this is more of a case where they were like, ooh, how can we trim this down? How can we streamline it to make it a movie? And they just viewed these characters as not the main characters. Yeah, like ancillary and characters to the story. They, and I know she helped out with, the you know, the directors and the screenplays and stuff. J.K. Rowling, Yes. Okay. Um but I just kind of feel like they were like, looked at Neville as a character and said, he's not that important. Mm-hmm. Whereas in later books, he is one of the main characters. He's core. You know, he really comes in there as like a secondary main character. Mm-hmm. It's like another secondary group that mm-hmm. forms. And you could kind of see that in if the Fantastic Beast movie mm-hmm. that J.K. Rowling actually wrote the script for rather than just being like a consultant on there. The... You could see the book writer, I think, in her, in the fact that the the core group is not just one or two people. There's all these interesting <laughs> little side, you know, char- memorable uh, side characters to the story that, you know, you could see that book writer in her and that she was trying to, you know, have something for, for everybody, uh, not just kind of just hanging out. And to use later. Right. I think as a, a... I mean, when you're looking at the whole series, when you're writing, mm-hmm. you're laying the groundwork, and you're like, well, he's not important now, but he's mm-hmm. going to do this one little thing, which is going to make a big difference mm-hmm. later, and then he's going to be pulled back oh, yeah. in. And, they're, you like, know, they're, she's planting huge seeds in this yeah. chapter, especially with Neville, mm-hmm. for sure. So not not going not to not <laughs> spoil anything no going going but, forward because you know that part of the podcast here is to kind of take take Snape, that take, lots take of that walk, walk along with little you, but seeds yeah. that we're planting little breadcrumbs to follow mm-hmm. and I think when you're taking a movie a book and turning it into a movie you don't have that sense of direction mm-hmm. well even with uh, with Jenny too you know she's uh, even at the beginning of this story where she's you know, not old enough to go to Hogwarts 
we're introducing her and we're making her a prominent member of this Weasley family because we want to, you know, her to take on a bigger role later on mm-hmm. uh, as characters, you know, as the story develops and as the characters get older and uh, and grow and things like that. So, uh, just really, this the seeds that are planted in this book on so many levels. Um, it's just wonderful the way. Uh, J.K. Rowling's brain works and how she had this entire universe planned out just years years going forward you yes. know it's not it's, it's not an accident it's not an accident that you know there's no way she went just book by book and just said well let's try this with these guys no they it wouldn't it would be too much of a coincidence for all these things to line up she had this all planned out so um, you know Malfoy is continuing the bullying the bully of the Gryffindors and that kind of sets up what's going to happen later in the chapter, uh, which we'll get to in uh, just a couple minutes. But uh, Harry gives Neville one of his last chocolate frogs that Hermione gave him for Christmas to kind of help him feel better. Another repetitive theme that chocolate makes you feel better. It does. I mean, that's. I mean, everybody <laughs> knows that. Harry Rowling is a very good, a big supporter of chocolate fixes yeah. everything. Yeah, and and that's one thing that translates very well from the United Kingdom. To the United States. That's <laughs> yes. one thing that can pull us together as a people is that chocolate makes you feel better. Yes. And, you know, that's that's something that can uh, that could end, you know, war forever. And it's just like an idea, no matter what God you believe in, or that's an idea we can all, <laughs> we can all get behind. That chocolate. Is that chocolate makes you feel that. better. I always say that chocolate can fix anything, and if it can't, caramel can. Mm. Because so I love some chocolate caramel is very underrated in the fact that it's not really that bad for you either and it's delicious Uh, (laughs) yeah it's not like it's not like horrible horribly bad for you it's not good for you let's not get it twisted but it's it's not horribly like bad for you you know (laughs) and then coat it in dark chocolate which isn't bad for Uh, you a little better a little better. I love dark chocolate. Let's go. Let's stick with milk chocolate. Uh, we're starting war again. Oh god. <laughs> you know that that's what's going to happen. It's like everybody's going to say, "Yes, we agree that chocolate is great, but dark chocolate is better. But milk chocolate is better. But white chocolate is better." And then we're going to be in the same same area, same just like the star yeah. star bellied uh, sneeches. <laughs> you know, stars are better, and that's why I want I want no stars, and I want stars on my belly, and yeah. So it's, uh, we thought we were on to something, but we ruined it. there's just no way to fix this world. We're, Human nature. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, of course, a trading card inside every chocolate frog. And this one is one that Harry really? has gotten before, which is Dumbledore. And Harry just happens to read the back of the card, which was the same one as the, the first card he had gotten. So it's a, it's a double. And in the back of the card says, Dumbledore is particularly famous for his defeat of the dark wizard Grindelwald in 1945, for the discovery of the 12 uses of dragon's blood, and his work on alchemy with his partner, Nicholas Flamel. What? <laughs> Finally! <laughs> and uh, that's where Harry says that he knew that he had read this somewhere before. He, he knew he knew that name for somewhere, and now he remembers... And that leads to jogging Hermione's memory to a book that she had already checked out. Yes, she dashes up to the girls' dormitory and comes back with a giant book. A little light reading. One of the more famous lines in the movie. 
Um, and she said, I checked this out for a little light reading. And Ron says, light? And she gets it and reads from the book. And the book says, Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Sorcerer's Stone. So explain to the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, well, I'm I'm reading the <laughs> I'm reading the uh, well, there's the, the, there's the, the, the I'm reading the ignorant uh, United the States version. version, USA, USA. <laughs> Sorcerer's Stone, Philosopher's Stone. Uh, tell the listeners what the stone does, what it has the ability to do. It can turn anything into gold. That's Handy awesome. Little trick. It also creates the elixir of life, mm-hmm. which will make someone immortal. Oh, sweet. Um, those are two very strange qualities to combine. Yeah, it is weird. It's but like I guess if you're going to live forever, you need some money. You need. I guess. An income. I think I think you're reaching for a connection there. <laughs> It's like well, it's all I got. It's like I have this magic wand, and it can uh, turn anything into turnips, and it also makes your hair grow long, whenever you want. Like that's that's cool. It's like two things that aren't like really close together. But I guess like if I had short hair, I might be hungry. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think my connection was better than that. Yeah, it was. It was pretty good. Uh, something else that we found in the book was uh, the ancient study of alchemy is concerned with making the sorcerer's stone, a legendary substance with astonishing powers. The stone will transform any metal into pure gold, as you said. It also produces the elixir of life, which will make the drinker, drinker immortal. And it goes on to say, there have been many reports of the Sorcerer's Stone over the centuries, but the only stone currently in existence belongs to Mr. Nicholas Flamel, the noted alchemist and opera lover. Mr. Flamel, who celebrated his 665th birthday last year, enjoys a quiet life in Devon with his wife, Paranel, who is 658. So, uh, So apparently it works. Apparently it works. Apparently they uh, they really like that elixir. Yeah. And I mean, I'm guessing it's not like a, you drink it once, you live forever. It's probably like something you have to, you know, constantly get a little dose of. Yeah, that's that's the way I always interpreted it. Mm-hmm. When I was reading that section, it didn't quite sound that way to me. It sounded just like the drinker then becomes immortal. Once mm-hmm. you're immortal, you're immortal. But yeah, the way I've always interpreted it from the stories mm-hmm. was they well, I guess keep we'll, drinking it occasionally. And I think, you know, we find in, in the stories, just from, you know, what I've seen in the movies and what I've seen in the books so far, is that potions wear off. Mm-hmm. You know, potions aren't, um, you know, something that you kind of take once and then you can, you know, breathe underwater forever. Yes. You know, it's something you got to, you know, get a little taste of every once in a while to, if you want to kind of keep the effects going. So uh, we just, you know, got a lot of information dropped on us. And uh, we basically kind of put together that the Sorcerer's Stone, I mean, could be seen as one of the more powerful uh, objects, you know, objects, objects. On, the, uh, on the face of the earth when you think about it. I mean, and that would be something that anybody would want to have. And it kind of makes uh, the trio think that maybe, you know, that's why Snape wants it so bad. 
because of how powerful it is, right? Yes. Yeah. They, they, that's what they, the conclusion they came to, too, was that clearly anybody would want this. Therefore, that's why Snape wants it. I wonder why the thought process of the children at this point, though, that, you know, Snape wants it so bad, but if what it does is turns things into gold and makes you immortal, I mean, is that like super evil to want that? You know, it's not like it gives you the power to like take over the world or enslave humanity or anything like that. And we got to protect it from somebody. But I guess it just, of course you'd want that. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it, well, from the kid's point of view, to me, it seems like it would be less, it kind of makes Snape seem, yeah, he's skeevy, but he's not like flat out evil. Yeah. Well, from Ron and Hermione, 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 just combining the two. Brown Mary, keep on (laughs) burning. From Ron and Harry's perspective, growing up. De- not deprived, mm-hmm. but on the poor side. Sure. Um, Harry more deprived than poor. They could immediately see the appeal of something mm-hmm. that could turn things into gold. Mm-hmm. Harry doesn't need money now, but that's not going to change this mindset that he's had his entire life mm-hmm. of never having enough, never, never being able to buy things for himself mm-hmm. or anything like that. And then same thing with Ron. His family's just rather poor. They're a large family, and large families are expensive. Mm-hmm. And um, both of them would immediately be like, oh, my God, something that could turn metal into gold and you could have as much money. That's the most amazing thing in the world. That mm-hmm. Of course everyone wants that. Yeah. Hermione probably is a little more on the other side of it's just this powerful magical object and she's not as familiar with the magical world I think that would be the appeal for her is mm-hmm. oh my god this is it's amazing of course everybody would want this and it's the only one in existence and it makes it rare and yeah I guess to, to me it from only knowing what they know from the kids point of view they're thinking yes they shouldn't have this because really nobody should have this, you know. It's it could be a it could be a dangerous thing and a, something that could potentially uh, go bad, go wrong, really quickly. But I, I guess just to me, it, it kind of seems like uh, maybe Snape is just oh he just he just wants this uh, just wants to be rich and he just wants to live forever. Well, I think from their perspective, it's more of, well, that's what Snape's, he's trying to steal it. Yeah. It's not his. Yeah. It's, Dumbledore is in charge of protecting this. Mm-hmm. They're very pro-Dumbledore, and they're anti-Snape, and so they feel a responsibility to help Dumbledore protect this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, just back to the stealing is wrong, and it's not Snape's, and he's trying to go behind Dumbledore's back. I don't even think it's a... He can't have this because he's going to conquer the world yeah. thing. It's just, he shouldn't. He's not supposed to. It's stealing. It's Dumbledore's. Let's not let him touch it. Gotcha. So, on to the Quidditch match with the whole school seemingly there, including Dumbledore himself. Yay, Dumbledore! So, in your opinion, 
is Dumbledore there because it's a big match? Is he there because he's uh, taking an interest in Harry after what happened in the last chapter? He's Yeah, he's there because something sketchy went on last time. Are, oh, he's there because of the, you know, what happened with Harry's broom last time? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because it doesn't doesn't really come out and say no, that. No, it's very subtle, and like that's why I want to get what you read, thought. You know, over and over. Mm-hmm. When I saw it, I really appreciated that fact. Even the having Snape in a more key role in the game, and having it just—if you notice where to look, you can see that they're really stepping up because they realized something went wrong last time. Mm-hmm. And by Dumbledore being there, and then. And then Harry even makes the same conclusion. Well, nothing's going to happen yeah. because Dumbledore's here. Yeah. Snape, Snape can only do so much to, mm-hmm. to me. Dumbledore wouldn't let anything happen. Yeah. So I, that's why I was wondering why he was there. Was it just because, you know, of the significance of the match for points? I think points, in the movies or, he's always there. He's just a big fan of sports. Yes. In the movies I think he's just a big fan of sports. Okay. They are always throw him into the... The scene, but in the books, I didn't even notice that he wasn't there last time. I don't think it was mentioned. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Dumbledore, everyone's here except for Dumbledore. Yeah. They doesn't say that. They just kind of so make I, a big deal out of it in this chapter. Yeah, that he actually came. So you assume he didn't come to the last mm-hmm. one because this is different. And then by association, you, you know, I interpret it as he's there because something happened last time. So uh, Snape is already showing signs of favoritism in the match calling uh, some bogus fouls uh, but the first one wasn't so bogus well yeah the one of the weasley boys might have hit a bludger uh, it doesn't say might. it doesn't that's not the wordage was your was your copy different than mine oh, allegedly jessica <laughs> here in america uh you're innocent until proven guilty oh. including if you're a weasley boy <laughs> So I think that a good lawyer in a court of law could easily put a reasonable doubt in a jury's mind that the Weasley boy... The sweet, innocent Weasley boy... Intended on on hitting the bludger in the direction of of Snape. So I think you're uh, jumping to conclusions. I think you're being unfair. I'm just going off of the way it was worded in my book. Okay, prosecutor. (laughs) No, <laughs> settle down. Uh, I, I, I see your point. Uh-huh. Uh, but there was at least one call later on that they said that for no made, reason for no at all. apparent reason. Yes. But uh, Ron and Neville don't even see the match. Yeah, the majority of the matches. Uh, apparently, there's a them. soccer hooligan-like brawl in the stands, <laughs> and uh, it happens a lot at. Um, like MMA uh, events where some people get uh, some alcohol in their system in the crowd and uh, everybody's a tough guy. And um, I guess just the test, the amount of testosterone in the building. There's usually a fight in the stands at big uh, MMA events uh, and even like boxing events. Uh, I guess just because of the, the mindset that you're, that you're in. But, uh, because men are ridiculous. Yeah. Sometimes. I, well, that's utterly <laughs> ridiculous. That goes. That goes without saying. Yes. That's some. That's another thing that can bring this world together that we can all agree <laughs> on. That chocolate is delicious and men are ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but Ron and Neville 
they decide to stand up to the bullying of Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle, and uh, they get into well, a, a brawl in the stands. Well, Ron's already on edge. Oh, You're yeah. talking about your the matches. He's like, just give me a reason. Ready. Just give yeah. me a reason. I dare you. Ron is on the edge. It says that him and Hermione showed up with their wands. Mm-hmm. They're 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 tense. They're mm-hmm. ready. They've been practicing the leg locker curse to use if Snape gets out to, of hand. To, yeah. to use on Snape. Hermione got. Annoyed that they snuck out of the rooms in the middle of the night, three mm-hmm. nights in a row. But she is practicing and prepared to jinx a professor. Mm-hmm. Like, double standards much? Yeah. But, um, yeah, so they're ready to go. Ron is ready to, to go, and Malfoy just shows up and starts pushing buttons. As he, as he tends to do. Yeah. But, uh, so, so we've got a brawl, and Hermione's just still watching the game well, somebody's got to look after harry yeah and it was it was actually uh neville who kind of you know says something back first mm-hmm. which you know good for neville and ron is is still watching the game but kind of you know giving neville his props for for standing up to him and then uh it gets to the point to where you know neville can't take it anymore ron can't take it anymore and you know we've got a flat out flat out brawl between uh, Crab Goyle and uh, Malfoy, and then uh, Ron and Neville. And Ron ends up with a bloody nose. Yeah, Neville ends up unconscious. Unconscious and in the hospital wing. But well, I mean, he's you know, t- he did take on the two yeah, goonies yeah. from, you know. The, yeah, the older kid, older kids who are, that, are bigger. That have nothing to do except for beat people up. And uh, that just goes to show you, you know, if you get into a fight, grab the little guy. Say, I got this guy over here. Yeah, Ron was like, I'll take, I'll take Malfoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Malfoy ended up with a black eye. Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> Ron got a bloody nose and uh, Neville got knocked out. But he did stand up for himself, mm-hmm. which, you know, good for him. So maybe... And- Maybe there is uh, some Gryffindor in there. That first step, too. You know, mm-hmm. yes, he got knocked out, but we, like we discussed earlier, mm-hmm. it's really no big deal. Mm-hmm. Little potion from the hospital wing, and you're fine. So now he's going to build that little bit of confidence that, you know what, hey, I stood up for myself, and yeah, maybe I got beat up, but I survived. Mm-hmm. It was fine. I can do that again. Yeah. And the bullies don't like when you stand up for yourself. No. You know, they don't like when there's resistance. To that, they just want you to be meek, and they want you to take it. And um, when you don't, that perturbs them, and that could, you know, end up working out to your advantage later on. Uh, but in the game, out of nowhere, a diving Harry Potter, Harry Potter streaks past Snape, grabs the snitch, Woo-hoo! winning the game for Gryffindor, securing the points lead for the house, and doing it all in record time. Right? Yeah, this was like, like five minutes. Like the quickest ending of a Quidditch match ever. Kind of the opposite of that one that lasted six months that we talked about uh, a couple chapters ago. Yeah, I think I'd be a little bit disappointed, though, if you got, like, all hyped up and (laughs) trekked out to the Quidditch pitch, which isn't real close, and, you know, climbed up all those stairs to get to your seats way up in the top. Uh And it only lasted five minutes. I think I'd be a little disappointed as a fan. Yeah. You can, like, go to a boxing match and it's over in ten seconds. Yeah. But they have, like, But it's kind of spectacular, though. Yeah. you get to watch beforehand. Yeah, that's true. Well, you don't know. Maybe they they have, like, like the JV Quidditch team comes out beforehand or something like that. No, they don't. I do know. They don't. Or maybe they have, like, uh, you know... 
like sometimes at like halftime at a little, basketball little game. Squad come out yeah. and perform. Or maybe no. like like bring out like the frisbee dogs and they do a little performance at, like at halftime. Or that's not in the books. Like the mascot. Maybe it's in the, like the the Argentinian version or something like that. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. Okay. All right. I, I mean, think just, they just had five just playing minutes devil's of advocate here. Okay. Uh, but apparently, nobody is uh, is upset about it. I mean, everybody's like super excited. Yeah. Um, poor Hufflepuff though. They jobbed out in five minutes <laughs> or whatever. What even if I don't even know if it was five minutes. It might have been thirty seconds. I don't know. I think. Well, if it, I think it said under five minutes. Okay. Oh, poor. About five minutes. I I doubt that the Hufflepuffs were upset about it though. They were just like, hey, good job. That was impressive. That was that was good. That's that was good. That was good. Nice job. Uh, so Harry's put on his team shoulders. Ron celebrates with his uh, bloody nose. Neville's passed out somewhere, and Snape is uh, visibly upset that uh, Harry had such a good performance, and the Gryffindors won, and there was really nothing that he could do about it significantly, other than calling a, a couple fouls. You know, there was, he didn't really have time to execute any kind of plan to sabotage the Gryffindors, right? Right, and now his team has been passed up. Womp womp. Yeah. So as uh, Harry puts his broom up, getting ready to head to dinner, he catches Snape sneaking away from the dinner crowd and into mm. the Forbidden Forest as we set up something here at the end of the chapter. Uh, who does he meet up with? In the Forbidden Forest, and what are they discussing? Uh, with Professor Quirrell, I can never say it right. He of the uh, the werewolf hunting, turban wearing, yes. uh, proclivity. Yes. <laughs> and um, the conversation is a bit muffled. Harry is hiding up in a tree and mm-hmm. floating we, on his broom. We only get bits and pieces, and then of course Professor Quirrell's always stammering, so you, it takes forever for him to say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but Harry gets out of it that they are discussing the Philosopher's Stone. Snape is upset with Professor Quirrell. Quirrell, Quirrell I can't say it. And um, say uh, her Mary again. Her Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Ron and her Mary. Well, I called. I called Harry Henry Potter a few episodes ago. So <laughs> that was like one of the first. That's episodes. like the the main character of all of these books <laughs> i call them hank potter old, hank, old Hang- oh, henry hank, hank potter um but yes they're discussing the philosopher's stone and getting past hagrid's beast mm-hmm. and so ron, uh, ron, harry reports back to his friends what he overheard but snape is acting like he needs Professor Quirrell, right? Mm-hmm. He needs him to do his, I think he said, like his hocus pocus um, in order to get past uh, seemingly not just the beast, but whatever enchantments are protecting uh, the philosophers slash yeah, sorcerers. Yeah, this is the stuff. first time that the, the group theorizes that there's other things. Mm-hmm. It's not just the beast. It's not if you open up that little trap door at the beast, the Fluffy's feet, it's going to be sitting right there. This is the first time they've realized there's other things, other enchantments, other magical tricks. 
So do do we get are we made to get the impression that Professor Coro is being forced to do this against his will or that he's it didn't seem like he's like in cahoots with Snape. It seems like Snape is like goading him into it or almost like Yeah, like, one of the last lines says I'll let you we'll just for, we'll continue this discussion later. I'll give you a little time to decide where your loyalties lie. Mm-hmm. So it seems that he's like on the fence about mm-hmm. helping Snape or that's really what the kids or the, hasn't really given in to Snape yet. It's the way the kids interpret it. And that line you just said just kind of made me think that when we say where your loyalties lie, that just, that doesn't seem, that seems like there's something bigger going, kind of gives you the impression there's something bigger going on. It's not just one dude who wants to get his hands on this stone so he can be rich yeah when you're talking about loyalties you're talking about like like, a group yeah like what team you're rooting for what side of a war you're going to end up on right it's something bigger right right uh and i think that's something that could easily get lost if you're you know if you're just kind of going through the chapter real quick but i don't it doesn't seem when you say where your loyalties lie you're usually not talking about being loyal to me you're usually talking about being loyal to a bigger ideal or a bigger picture. So that's something to, to keep our eyes on. And uh, when the the trio kind of come back together, they realize that if Snape needs Quirrell, and that's the only, last thing he needs to get into, you know, get past uh, Fluffy, weak-willed Professor Quirrell is our last defense. We're in trouble, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely in trouble. I mean, how how weak could this guy be, though? He, like, killed a bunch of werewolves, right? Allegedly. Allegedly. Allegedly, Daniel. <laughs> and he was gifted that turban by, like, the grand high pre- priest of uh, Agrabah or something, right? <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> yeah, the guy from Aladdin gave it to him. That's the same one that the, uh, Jasmine's dad wore in Aladdin, I think. Oh, Oh, yeah, a little, little synergy there. And <laughs> little synergy oh, there. I'm thinking of Aladdin's. Aladdin's had the purple feather uh, that kept yeah. falling in his face. Yeah. Prince Ali. He lied. Gotcha. Uh, so, uh, anything else that... Sorry, we're crossing our genres. Yeah, what song you want to sing next? Been been on the greatest showman soundtrack lately. You want to sing a little Ugh, bit of that? Yeah, let's turn that on. Yeah, just, just Hugh Jackman. Let everybody listen. Hugh Jackman's to that. Wolverine. He's pretty awesome. He is. He's just he's he kind he Hugh Jackman is the greatest showman. He is. <laughs> like it, that that movie shouldn't have been about P.T. Barnum. It should have been about Hugh Jackman. Oh, that would be a good one. Um, I want to know if he really did the dancing, because, I mean, I know he does Broadway and stuff, but, like, he was doing, like, some legit ballroom dancing in this, in that movie. Anyway, sorry, yeah. we're getting way off topic. I bet he did, because, I mean, they said, yeah. it, they said it took him, like, like, that was, like, a project of his took, like, seven years to make or something like that. Um, I'm sure he... He did the dancing oh, himself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. He's the greatest showman. So he is. There you go. Uh, have you ever seen the um, uh, Saturday Night Live skit where Hugh Jackman plays older Harry Potter? <laughs> this sounds vaguely familiar, and he's but I like don't six, think so. he's like six five, and he's like got big muscles, and 
It's pretty. Didn't they like talk to Snape in the portrait? I, I, or something. I think it's it. I think it might have been where. Uh, I think he was actually supposed to be playing Daniel Radcliffe, uh-huh. the the actor that plays Harry Potter, because they had this thing was called Two Sides, where like uh, they took like uh, actors who had played in. Um, it, it was Andy Samberg as Hugh Jackman <laughs> hosting this, and he's saying like. I'm currently in like the the awesome robot fighting movie Real Steel, and also performing my one man show on Broadway. Two sides, so like you can be like a tough guy and also be like you know kind of like a sensitive guy. And apparently, uh, you know Daniel Radcliffe was in uh, Harry Potter, of course, mm-hmm. and then he did that uh, play where he was like naked. Like yeah. with the horse or whatever, which is all anybody knows about that play, <laughs> is that Daniel Radcliffe was in it and he was naked with the horse. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's all that yeah, anybody I'm not, knows I'm about not, that play. I'm not really interested in it, but so I think Hugh Jackman was playing Daniel Radcliffe, who just happened to be dressed as Harry Potter, while a fake Hugh Jackman was talking to him. Why was he not naked with the horse? Ooh, I because it's broadcast TV. You can't do stuff like that. Um. And we don't do stuff like that on this show. It's a family show, so oh. yeah, we don't we don't do it. We we try to keep it uh, PG thirteen at most, you know, just so we don't lose all of our sponsors because uh, that's what pays the bills. Uh, speaking of which, uh, shout out to uh, McDonald's, <laughs> uh, McDonald's, uh, home of the uh, frozen Coke. Uh, Only and, some places, though. And other McCafe beverages. Not every place has frozen Coke. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Uh, sponsor of the show. They've been with us uh, since the beginning. So we're, you know, we're thankful for their uh, uh, sponsorship. And we'll hopefully continue to put out uh, you know, podcast gold for you. You look confused right now. I'm just going to make a mental note to text Jennifer and uh, tell her not to believe you. Oh. Because sometimes I think she believes you when you say things like She's that. She's like, oh, man, I'm going to go to McDonald's so I can, like, support the podcast. <laughs> She's never said that. Oh, speaking of, of Jennifer, uh, we got, I'm rocking the new uh, Broomsticks and Butterbeer t-shirt, mm-hmm. which uh, we got one for. That yeah, we need to drop it we, in the mail. Drop it in the mail. Um, it's got the Broomsticks and Butterbeer logo on the front, and then on the back, it's got what? It's got a quote um, from our podcast and it says i'm just happy to be at hogwarts and uh, it's got your name on there so it congratulations am, you're big time now I'm famous i'm on our first edition of the shirt yep first edition of the t-shirts uh if you're interested in a t-shirt send us an email at broomsticks.butterbeer at gmail.com and we can get you the info on how to get a t-shirt but uh before we wrap up anything that stood out to you about the chapter uh things that significant differences between the movies and the books or just anything else that you think is pertinent to um, our characters, our story going forward. I um, I'm gonna show that I haven't seen the movies in a while. I don't recall seeing that last scene in the movie. Okay. I I just don't remember seeing with it. At Snape all. in the forest. Yeah. With Quirrell. And, or even just that conversation. I'm trying to think now. Maybe they have the conversation, but it's still. 
in the school, but I don't think so. I don't think that's in there at all. I think we skip over all of that. Is Snape uh, the referee in the Quidditch match? I don't know if I remember seeing that. I don't remember that either. Does the referee fly around on a broom? Yes. So, can you envision Snape flying around on a broom? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of picturing that in my head while I'm reading that. I was like, man, that looks weird. I, I guess I'm. Who, I, she has like the goggles on. She's got her whistler in her mouth and she's flying around. I, I can see her perfectly. Yeah. But yeah. I can't see Snape with a whistle hanging out of his mouth either. Yeah. So I'm just thinking of Alan Rickman, the actor. Just, I'm not getting on the broom. <laughs> So it, it would be kind of a weird sight. So I didn't know if that was in the movie or not. No, I didn't really remember that. No, I don't that. think so. Uh, are we are we good? I think we're good. We think we're good? I'm, I'm getting excited to... we only got a couple more chapters yeah, left. We're getting to the nitty-gritty here. And then we're going to do the mo- watch the movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited. Yeah, should be fun. Uh, so that was Chapter 13, Nicholas Flamel of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, you can always send us your thoughts or if uh, you just want a shirt. Uh, broomsticks.butterbeer or if you want a, a good recipe for, for butter frozen butterbeer uh, broomsticks.butterbeer at gmail.com and leave us a review on iTunes it really helps the podcast it helps us uh, move up the iTunes chart and uh, make it easier for the podcast uh, to be found and shared and uh, we'll get more sponsors like uh, McDonald's home of the uh, delicious McCafe beverages and frozen Cokes Bada ba ba ba, I'm loving it. McDonald's. So for uh, Dan Rhino and Jessica Rhino, your Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw host. Uh, this has been Broomsticks and Butterbeer, Chapter 13. Nicholas Flamel from Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, or Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, or Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone Ravenclaw edition. And we'll be back next time with Chapter 14 of all of those. <laughs> books Books. uh hopefully with not too much uh, differentiation between the three of them so uh thanks for listening downloading subscribing and spreading the word and uh, we'll see you next time bye Magic that you weave so well